On today's episode of The Investing Revolution, we're going to talk about the long-term buy and hold strategy. We're going to talk about who actually needs to be purchasing these type of investments, where you can get them, and how that strategy can be your nest egg for the future and, and the perfect way for you to retire. This is The Investing Revolution, a podcast designed to help your real estate investment strategy. On this podcast, we'll teach you the actionable steps to take and pitfalls to avoid so that your real estate investing can thrive. Welcome to The Investing Revolution. I am Jonathan Cook, your host, and with me is my co-host, Christine Bennett. Hi. And we have a special guest in the studio today. Christina, how are you? I am great. How's everybody doing? Thank you guys for having me. Oh, we are so excited to have you here. This is super fun. We've had we've had a good day. It's been fun. Absolutely. We've been having a ball last night. We went and like had some nice dinner, had fun. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. So we have brought our guest in here today to specifically talk about a investment strategy that you know really, really well. That's that's the long-term buy and hold strategy, which I think we all know that's that's kind of most people's default strategy. If you don't have one, a lot of the time you fall into it. Long-term buy and hold sounds good, but let's. I want to talk about what an ideal version of that is, um, how to intentionally find one. Because I think Chris, Christine, I think we want to talk about a lot of people accidentally end mm -hmm. up there, um, and I want to talk about who really like thrives in that kind of investment because it, it it's not for everybody it, it's not um, i think a lot of people default to that on accident um but but i want to get into how to do it how to do it right where to do it does that does that make sense to that you? sounds good to me <laughs> do you want to kind of take over how people accidentally end up there because i know we see it a ton sure that's so you know from when I started my career and I transitioned to property management, that was pretty much the majority of my my clients were accidental landlords. Um, I, I dealt with investors and I, you know, I felt like I was more connected to them because it was very, very numbers driven. But getting in front of an accidental landlord and having a conversation with them and, you know, doing an investment analysis for them or, or take it a step further in our company, we will do a pro forma for them. They don't realize a lot of times what they have. They don't realize, oh, I have this percent cap rate. I, I had no idea. Oh, okay. Well, my cash flow number is actually really good. And I'm like, yeah, it is. Even though I had this maintenance expense. Yeah. And then you break down Oh, okay. Well, this was my maintenance cost over the last two years. And they realized, wow, that's a very small percentage of what I actually made on an annual basis. And and that's why I really, I think long-term buy and hold is obviously not a new concept, but it is a very stable, lower risk investment strategy. And it also kind of, it could go through any classification of property a lot of times. So uh, that's why it's always been one of my favorite things in our industry. I, I think the strategy, the way that it it works, and I want to dive into why it works. What are the benefits of this? And like, it seems like a pretty vague term, but like, let's actually talk about what it is. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not just buying a house and waiting. I mean, oddly enough, that's almost actually it. I mean, that's, <laughs> I mean, it's not just that, but like that is prop, like that is the easy con concept of what this strategy is, right? You buy something that is 
in a market that you believe in. And I think this that's what makes this strategy um, seem less aggressive. It is what makes it less risky, um, but it also makes it easier for people that are a little bit more risk averse to like adopt this and say, you know what? Okay, this is an area that not only do I think it's a safe place to put my money, but like I believe in this market specifically because I think that's the underlying like uh, you know driver for a real long-term buy and hold strategy is you've recognized that this is a market that not only has a good strong appreciation because that's the end goal in a long-term buy and hold strategy. It is the appreciation. The cash flow is not top of mind. The the uh, you know the actual cap rate is not top of mind for this. The, the reason that you bought this specific property is because I believe that this area is an area that is going to continue to improve in one way or another, whether that's economic drivers, whether that is a, you know, uh, an influx of, you know, IT or, you know, different careers or, oh, Google opened up here or whatever it might be, right? It's something that is, you know, I feel like in 10 or 15 years, this property is probably going to do really well. I, th I think this market is going to continue going up. There's more people moving to it. And I think that's what kind of in, you know, outlying terms, that's what people are looking for when they are at, you know, after one of these properties. Is that what your experience typically is with that, Christina? Is that what you hear from an investor that's like, Look, I'm not a I'm not a risky guy, but like sure. I think Orlando is a cool place that's probably going to get better. Maybe I want to do this. Is that what you is that kind of the reading between the lines what that seems like? Yes, absolutely. So, I am contacted by multiple investors and, you know, what they're willing to to do really depends on their goals long term. And so identifying their goals and then being able to guide them in the direction that is needed for them to accomplish those goals. So a lot of times, you know, we want not only, I mean, everybody knows real estate is hyper localized, but having a market expert that can really identify, um, you know, what areas are becoming where appreciation is, you know, a little bit stronger than other areas and then where the market rent has really you know exploded and it has in in metro orlando and the surrounding areas so on top of being able to do that something else that I'm, I'm able to do because of my background in multifamily and property management is that we really drill down numbers on a granular level so we understand the tax rate we understand hoa dues we understand you know if there's very specific hoa rules in terms of tenant occupied units within the community um, we understand, you know, what vacancy rates look like. We understand, you know, maintenance and some people are very scared about maintenance and, you know, what's the biggest ROI in terms of a property, you know, that you may have to put a little bit into it. So it's really establishing the trust, understanding that, you know, every property is different. And when you identify a property, you drill down the numbers based on that specific property and then identifying areas within your market that really have, you know, that are really have the longevity in terms of growth. And there's just a lot of exciting areas in Orlando. So I help identify those areas and then work with my investors to drill down the numbers. And then, you know, we're, we feel confident placing an offer on a property in this really crazy market right now. So it can be done. And I think what you just said is a super interesting point about, at least in this, in terms of this strategy, I think everybody's starved right now for inventory, right? Sure. And, and, and a lot of the investors that I've been working with for the past, you know, 
10 years, really. There was that cash flow model, the Burr model. It, it's super popular. Don't get me wrong. It's popular for a very specific reason. It, it is popular because I need to generate income, basically, right? So that's not what the ideal, ideal, uh, you know, investor that's got an ideal buy, buy and hold long term kind of strategy is looking at. There's different types of benefits. Yeah, the income might not be great, but like, Christine, do you want to talk about like some of the additional benefits other than just a maximized monthly cash flow looks like? So I think that's one of the reasons that the Central Florida market has so many long-term buy and holds is because people didn't really go after it as, okay, I want to I want to buy and hold it. They they did it because oh okay I might move here one day. You know we it's the land of Mickey Mouse, <laughs> and you know I I might move here or my kids are in college here, um, and we just see that so often in that market. But the weird thing about our or that market is that we see it happen over and over again. So you look at like even two thousand seven. 2009, 2010, it still was happening. It was, you know, people were really focused on our market for that reason. Yeah. Um, you know, the thing about what you were saying about people wanting to buy something and then maybe move back into it later mm -hmm. because, you know, ah, that this, this is a cool place. This is the land of Mickey Mouse, right? Like what you said, <laughs> that's like, yeah, I get that. That's like, that's one of the reverse benefits of a buy and hold strategy. It's like, yeah, I'm not, I don't need this income, but it's a great tax shelter yep. for these next 10, 15 years exactly. while I'm, I'm working and I'm making my income here and, you know, on wall street or whatever it might be. Right. Like it's fine. I don't need this additional income, but it is a really nice comfy place that I might want to retire to. And then if you buy it early and let it pay itself down, pay its principal down over that time of I've owned it for a long time. Then once you move down into it, maybe your principal is paid down super, super low. Oh yeah. And it's, and the appreciation rates exactly. in the central you can Florida refinance market. the difference out after yep. 10 years. Mm -hmm. The difference in what that could be could be huge, right? Yeah. Appreciation rates have skyrocketed in central Florida. So we're looking on average about over 25 to 30% in the central Florida area in the past 12 months. And then the market rents have exploded as well. So market rents are about 25% compared to where we were 12 months ago. Um, and it's incredible. So, I mean, this past summer, you know, in Central Florida, we're like, wow, this is a really hot market. How long can this last? And so what we're seeing and what's trending is that the appreciation rate is keep is it's just growing and growing. And I think the reason behind that is because Central Florida, compared to other metro areas, has just been so undervalued. And it's super affordable compared to most metro areas, especially with what we have to offer, right? So not only is there major industry there, there's also obviously Disney World, and there's just a tremendous amount of growth. And we're comprised about uh, comprised of about five counties uh, which extend all the way getting closer to the west coast and then you have east coast too so we're close to beaches there's just a lot going on um and we're still reasonably priced compared to you know a denver northeast even you know west coast so it's exciting to be able to help people do that yeah that makes a ton of sense because it's not just when i, I know being from the south i mean and i'm i grew up in alabama birmingham alabama so when i think of florida my brain thinks of the gulf coast sure where, where i grew up going down to all the time 
And I'm and my my parents own some you know investment properties down there, and, they, and it's rental, but it's all that VRBO type of stuff. It's all that Airbnb type of stuff, which we know has been really popular since that kind of kicked off. Since those became available, I recognize that that's a popular strategy, but I don't think of Florida. I don't. I guess I did not ever really think of that whole central Florida part where it's like, it's not just a beach community. Come on now. We've got industry. We've got stuff other than just well, tourism, right? thinks of Orlando as a vacation destination, right? So obviously it's appealing in terms of the short-term market. But what's interesting is that, you know, we are in terms of growth and industry and development, we're just continuing and it's almost like exponential, right? Things are just exploding there. So, you know, with that and then market rents being so strong, um, even in this crazy limited inventory, you know, market where people are placing offers over asking, there's just a lot of interesting ways to make sure that you can maximize your profit and still have a relatively um, good cash flow. It's not huge. You know, we're not talking about 8%, 9% cap rates um, and still really be able to get your, you know, get into investing in a market that's still reasonable, even though the market's crazy. And I think Orlando is definitely one of those places. Can we talk for a second about over asking price offers? Sure. Because I think like, well, especially as it relates to buy and hold. Yes. Right. That's exactly what I mean. The reasons why we would do that in certain markets. And I think Christina can speak to that because she's, she's literally boots on the ground, you know, competing with 20, 30 offers. And yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. So let's talk about why, you can still make an offer over asking price on a long-term buy and hold because it's that strategy is not about timing right. the market. It's the Warren Buffett quote. It's time in the market, right? right exactly. Hey, you know what? If I'm if I'm not looking to liquidate this, or if I'm not needing the cash flow, and so my mortgage numbers are going to be off, and right. ooh, I don't have to spread this down to I need these fifteen extra cents or whatever the math is. You sure. know what I'm saying? So like. It, your cap rate doesn't even really change that much if you're making a $10,000 over asking price offer. I mean, it might affect it a little bit, but we're not looking at a 17% cap rate like some of these cash flow properties are, right? It's sure. it's a little bit more digestible to say it's worth it. Right. I mean, when you're thinking long term mm-hmm. versus short term, you know, in a market that, in my opinion, is still not necessarily undervalued, but kind of ramping up to, to catch other metro areas. Um, there's still such a, uh, it's still such a place to invest and and ultimately get a deal, if you will, if you're looking long-term. So for example, you know, if there's 30 offers, 20 offers, obviously you want to identify the pain points, um, for, you know, the seller. So you're able to strategize, be strategic about your offer. And, you know, I would never, ever, ever recommend, um, waiving any kind of appraisal contingencies or anything like that, but you can be really strategic how you structure your offer. And in the event that you are paying 10,000 over asking or over appraised value, which I think is the more important term to really understand yeah, than the over gap, asking. The gap difference, right? Correct. Yeah. So, you know, unless you're paying cash, the lender is going to order an appraisal, right? And so the appraised value is what matters. Um, and so if you guarantee that you're going to pay X amount, you can already factor that into your numbers, right? So we're willing to pay $10,000 over the appraised value. Um, and we can factor that into our numbers and we cap it at that point. So, you know, there's ways to be very strategic in terms of the way that you create 
um, your offer that you're really not, you know, bleeding, but at the same time, because there are multiple offers and Orlando is such a, a popular place to invest right now, um, there's ways to do it that still makes sense in terms of an investment standpoint. Yeah. And I, I think one of the beauty, uh, one of the beautiful aspects of this strategy is we're talking, we're not talking about risky markets. Like right. we're not talking about a risky area that right. like, oh man. I don't know if this is going to do it. Right. I hope it doesn't. Because the point is not, uh, the point is just different. Like the whole concept of this this strategy really works with um, a nice area that you believe in. I mean, that's sure. the thing, right? And so you have other benefits than just cash flow and appreciation, like the tax shelter right. aspect of this. And we kind of blew past it. But I really want to dive down into like, if you have an investment that you are planning to keep for 15 or 20 years, okay, your principal reduction is going to be good, whatever. If your mortgage is 30 years and you plan to actually hold this property for the full 30 years of this mortgage, like, let's talk about the tax benefits. Can we talk about depreciation a little bit? Christine, do you want to talk about depreciation and how that can break down for an investor that's really doing the strategy well? So I think the most important thing is to know that it's there. Um, and then knowing that whether you, however you stumbled upon this property or you intentionally purchased it, knowing that you have the opportunity to take some depreciation during that period of time and, and sitting down and making sure that you have a plan for the next three years, five years, 10 years, 15 years, just knowing that this is what we're going to do with it and knowing how to, you know, allocate the funds because you're going to take some deductions like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to do an AC in year two, or I'm going to do it right now because I can take, you know, this tax deduction immediately and just, planning. Yeah. Speaking to Christine's point is that, you know, the smaller profit margins on buy and hold, the tax benefits really offset that. And so it's another way to, you know, kind of play into the long-term strategy, just knowing that the tax benefits really do offset some of the smaller cap rates. And you're like, Hey, listen, I got there's so many write-offs. This is wonderful, right? So, um, you know, that's just another, you know, another point to investing, especially in this particular market and buy and holds in general. And I and I think that is a really good, um, you know, measuring stick for right. who should be buying these properties, right? Like if if I, you know, make. $35,000 a year. And I really realized that like real estate investing is a good way to earn me some money is like, is this my ideal strategy? Of course it is not. We talk about, and we have talked about trying to set up what your strategy is. And I know that there are investors out there going, well, I don't know which, which strategy I should take. Right. I, I, I don't know. Is cash flow what I need yeah. is is monthly income a thing that I need extra of? Guess what? If you make tons of monthly income, if you're the opposite of this $35,000 a month person, right. if, if you're making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year with your, if you're a doctor or a lawyer or, you know, you work in, in IT and you're, you're building, you know, uh, software over on the West Coast and you've got tons of income. Sure. Well, you need a shelter for that income, Absolutely. first of all. And buying a cash flowing property 
actually is going to hurt you in some capacity because guess what? Now you have more income that you need to shelter from the taxes. So who needs to buy this property? It's it's the guy that's sitting there trying to think of what strategy he wants to have. Like, ah, you know, it all sounds good. I, I want to grow my money. Well, growing your money in a year, if you already have a ton of money, is not a great thing for your income taxes. But if you can shelter that income in a property that you can kind of set one of these and forget about it, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. you, you, look, I'm going to buy in Orlando or I'm going to buy in Atlanta. I'm going to buy in these areas that like there's it's it's this is an area that is only going to get better because yeah. there's plenty of economic drivers. There's plenty of industry like we're not concerned about a major um, you know, swing. It's not on the edge of a C class, maybe going to jump to a B. I'm not worrying about it gentrifying. I'm not right. worried about that. I'm not hedging my bets on, yeah. I hope this does well. This is like, look, we already know that's, that's fine. Good school system. Good. This good. That all, all the things I just need to not pay 50% of my income in taxes. Right. How do I do that? Put it here. So I know that I keep reeling this back into, um, you know, people who stumble on these properties. And I think it's important, especially in our central Florida market. You brought up short term earlier. We find we've had a a lot of changes that have happened in our central Florida market. The uh, regulatory environment has changed. And we have people who originally purchased the property with the intention of having a super cash flowing short term rental property. And now they're like, Oh my gosh, they're in a panic. I have to sell it. This is no longer what I need to do with it. And you you sit down and have a conversation with them and say, okay, you could sell it and eat the cap gains. However, here's the other alternative. You know, let's take this property that you can't now do a short-term rental on and let's let's change this. And we see that all the time in our market. Oh yeah, you have to pivot, um, especially you know with the pandemic that happened because the short-term market, you know, rentals were kind of like they just stopped. You know, it was just a really pump the brakes, stop. It was you know. abrupt for yeah, sure. Yeah, it was abrupt. But what that helped people do is kind of understand and navigate how to pivot, right? And so the way to pivot, especially with, you know, to speak to what Christine was saying is that the rules have gotten so strict in terms of short-term rentals. There's some counties that don't even allow it, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to know and work with an agent, a property management company that can navigate you in the right way. I am sure we have all worked with clients because I do have a background in property management, new business development, where they're like, hey, I bought this property. I was going to do X, XYZ with it, but my agent or this person, they led me in this direction and now I'm here. And we have to put out a lot of fires because of that, you know, and that's the probably one of the most challenging parts of property management, in my opinion, is pivoting from what their expectation was initially to what the reality of the situation is. And so there's just, I mean, if you can avoid that in general is best, but there's, you know, there's a lot of interesting ways that you can you know, go from short term and then go to long term and have it make sense. Yeah. And and a lot of times people are, they don't realize what they have. So we talked about the tax shelter. We talked about the appreciation. We talked about, you know, the risk level in something like that is, or should be, could be the set it and forget it, you know, yeah. and, and 
perhaps they're disappointed initially, but when they realize, okay, well, this isn't my cash flow strategy property. This is my long-term buy and hold. Here are the advantages to that. Right. Here are the advantages in this market to that. So, and I, and I think that's a, I mean, I know that I've had that conversation with clients because they were disappointed in something or, right. I mean, that, that's one thing, but I think in the past two years or so, we've probably all experienced that that investor that was like, well, I bought this, you know, as a long-term buy and hold, but man, you know, the appreciation has been crazy and everybody's selling so fast. Like, should I go ahead and sell this? Is that actually my best decision? And I'm like, well, what are you going to do with that capital gains that you just got? Didn't you right. originally buy this as a tax shelter? Right. And I know it sounds sexy when you see that you've appreciated a hundred percent. Yeah. You can take out. 50, oh my God. Yeah. I mean, you can make 50 grand if not more in one year, like that's very tempting. Mm -hmm. Oh, easily. Yeah. Very, very tempting. And, and I get the temptation there, mm -hmm. but like, this is my warning for you long-term buy and hold investors. It's like, you've made a lot of appreciation. Congratulations. That's wonderful. If you sell it today, yeah, you're probably going to make a mint. What do you do with it now? The purpose of this type of investment is to retire on. Right. Are you ready to retire? Are you done? Right. Is this enough money for you to be done with? Or are you about to get yourself into a situation where now my strategy has to change even again? Now this is not going to, you're going to lose a lot of that capital gains in taxes. That's a real worry. So I think, I, I think we would all kind of agree, you know, the long-term buy and hold strategy is tried and proven and it's one of those long-term wealth building tools yeah so you how look, long is long term how about that well and that's a subjective question that's where you have to know what the plan is and you right. want to connect yourself with a good agent you know good management company etc the the issue that i think is Oh, well, well, what's difficult right now is that people want to identify, you know, appreciation at 25% is not going to continue forever, right? Of course so not. people want to understand, hey, listen, you know what, I mean, what's going to happen in 10 years and five years and three years, I think, you know, buy and hold, I think where some investors get ahead of themselves is that they get nervous of what the what's going to happen in three years, right? If there's been so much appreciation, and then it dips, oh, my God, you know, what am I going to do? But if your position is buying and holding, you know, the models have shown long term over at least 10 to maybe 15 years, that's a proven strategy to build wealth. And so we can't panic. Like if you see, oh my gosh, I could sell right now and make 75 grand. And then in three years, maybe you can't not, we can't dictate the market. The no. market is the way that the market is right now. So it may make some people nervous to invest right now. Um, but long term, it's a proven model to build wealth. Here's the other part that I kind of lost my kind of brain fart. Pardon that. <laughs> that um, so with long-term buy and hold, there's a very big difference between cashing out and, you know, taking this lump sum of equity, eating the cap gains versus net worth. Right. So, you know, $1.2 million is a lot different than 15 properties. I mean, you're really building wealth over a longer period of time. Well, uh, yes, and actually. can leverage that money. Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay, yes, that's what we're talking about here. This is one of the benefits of the long-term buy and hold strategy: is don't get rid of it. Oh my God, don't ever get rid of it. Don't leverage it. No, leverage it. Right. Leverage the whole difference that you have into it. If you decide that now you need cash flow, can I make a point? Yes, please. A cash out refi interest rate is way better than 
than, than taxes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. You know, it's, you can leverage that money, do a cash out refi. I'm not a mortgage expert. I'm not saying that I sure. am, but it's just a very smart strategy. And a lot of investors that I work with use that strategy to leverage and to then grow their portfolio. So, and, and I think a lot of people, you know, have adopted like this 1031 exchange model of yeah. it as well. And that, that's a good idea for tax shelters. If, the market wasn't continuing to also be more expensive. So great, you took out your 1031 exchange. Fantastic. Where are you going to go put it? Right. Right now, that's not honestly doable in a lot of cases. Like you can't take the same, even with the gains and everything, you can't go plop it back in a new version of this because prices are skyrocketing. And what you were saying a second ago about everybody being worried, mm -hmm. like, oh, everything's climbing up. It's 2007 again. Right. It's going to crash. Right. There is a major difference between what I think the, the worry there sure. comes from a lack of understanding why 2008, 2009 happened. Because yeah. it wasn't just that prices got high. It was predatory lending <laughs> was a major yeah. issue there. Yeah. There aren't that many. No. You know, seven your arms anymore what, balloon what, payments that's why there was a collapse it was a yeah, absolutely there was a collapse because people now have to pay what they had borrowed oh no and couldn't have afforded to begin with yeah i mean that's the elephant in the room and, and they were so upside down you know yes and see that's the thing in general long-term buy and holds real estate is generally aside from 2008 it's generally less volatile I mean, yeah. that's the beauty of the long-term buy and hold is that banks are willing to leverage these properties because they it's it's a lot less risky than stock market or you know a business idea or or something like that. The interest rates are still so reasonable compared to what they have been in the past, and so I think the influx with you know the amount of not only just investors but people in the market looking to purchase investment properties or first time buyers or whatnot um, is because the interest rates have been so low. And although they're climbing up and there's different ways to get, you know, there's different, there's different ways. I'm not going to really go into it too much to be creative with your mortgage lender where you're not paying just investment prices in terms of your interest rate. Um, you want to speak to a professional about that. Um, but the interest rates being so low is also offset, you know, if you do have to pay a little bit over asking, um, it, if you really look at the math and the numbers, a higher interest rate is going to be a higher mortgage payment nine out of 10 times. So if you're going to pay five, $10,000 over asking, the interest rate is really low. It does work into the ratios and the numbers and your cash flow. So, yeah, absolutely. And, and kind of tying that in to, you know, everybody worrying about, uh, the crash or whatever, right. if that's going to happen again, which I don't think it will. It's not going to be a crash again, but we can talk about that later. <laughs> um, specifically, one of the things that we saw previously is there was a massive amount of inventory, right? That's why that act, that's part of one of the things that made a crash right this minute. There is very little inventory, which comes back to that's why people are offering over asking price because there is not another option for you. Right. If you've been out there trying to get these cash flowing properties because you think that that's a cool investment strategy, it is. But if you have the money to buy one of these long-term buy and holds, or to buy something that's a little bit pricier, because that's usually what these are going to be. Yep. It, you might spend a little bit more money. It changes your buying model instead of from, I've got to buy this under market. I've got to, I've got to skim and, and make sure that I'm getting a good deal. 
if this strategy is what you've adopted, the buying price is less of a concern. If, if, if you are concerned in your market with, I can't compete with any of these, I can't make my numbers work. Right. This type of strategy is, if your market's blowing up, we'll adopt this strategy. This is the strategy that's going to actually make it through that because, hey, can, can I pay more than asking price? Yeah. Does it still fit your model? Yeah. How do we make that work? This is how. Yeah. So I think there's another really cool element that I know all three of us are aware of it because we're in the industry, but the idea of renting versus owning has become very unique. The idea of renting and, you know, having your needs met is not going away. In fact, you know, my generation, my daughter, they may not want to own properties. It's very, very common. You know, this this idea that you can work from home, be slightly more nomadic, live in Austin for two years, live in California for a few years, live in, you know, the Midwest. This is a real thing now. Oh, yeah. So the need for um, being able to be fluid and move creates an opportunity for these long-term buy and hold investors because there's always going to be tenants. There's right. always going to be residents and the better we improve the resident experience, that's shameless plug. That's <laughs> what we want to do. Um, but we're going to see more and more of that. Right. And understanding and predicting how things are changing, um, you know, not just in society, but just how nomadic to your point, you know, people have become now that we can all work from home has also created part of the inventory shortage that we see because people are like, Hey, if I don't actually have to go to an office and I can live closer to the beach or wherever, you know, closer to my family. Plus we have multi-generational living now, which is another interesting, you know, factor. Um, but yeah, to your point, I, I completely agree that things are shifting. Well, as things are shifting and, and, and people are it, basically what we're talking about here is people moving out of these big cities, right? Right. People, people moving out of New York, people moving right. out of LA it's true. because they don't have to live in some 500 square foot apartment for $7,000 a month. They or don't whatever. have to commute anymore. So they, why live there? Yeah, of the, course not. the appeal went away a little bit. So can we talk about if they're moving out of certain areas, what are the areas are they moving into? Can you give some insight into that and into the Orlando market. Are there are there some good little pockets right now? Right. Down so, there where like where you know our listener can give you a call and say, Hey Christina, you talked about these cool markets. Help sure. me find one. So, where, what are those areas? Right. So there's a few areas. Um, you know, Orlando or Central Florida, the Orlando, the greater Orlando area is comprised of five counties. So we have Lake County, Orange County, Polk County, Seminole County, um, Osceola. And Osceola. Yeah. Osceola being very important. So we're compromised of five counties. We It's huge. I mean, central Florida is huge, but there's so much going on. So, you know, traditionally everybody thinks of the attractions, right? So of course we have that. And I can build off of the attractions. There's just so much growth that's happening. Also, there's really cool industry happening. So we have um, Lake Nona, which has something called Medical City. Medical City is one of the most high techy places um, in terms of what they're offering. We have Nemours Children's Hospital, really, really cool industry, very cutting edge industry. And so that market in particular is very expensive, right? Um, but there's, you know, communities or towns that are adjacent to those, to that particular area that I find to be very interesting. And, um, you know, we're finding a lot of value there and appreciation and the market rents are so high 
because the proximity to these really cool areas. So in addition to, you know, Lake Nona, which there's a couple of areas next to it. There's St. Cloud, which is off of Narcusi Road. Like I'm really getting very specific, but that particular area in terms of the market rent has grown, I would say probably over 25% for sure. And then on the other side, there's Boggy Creek, which is close to the airport. The airport's now building something called Terminal C. It's this beautiful new terminal near Lake Nona, Boggy Creek Road. Um, and it's just exploding out there because of the proximity to Lake Nona as well. And there's a lot of other markets too. There are definitely pockets. And what's interesting, you brought specifically St. Cloud. St. Cloud used to be a absolute secondary market. Oh, for sure. And now we've seen appreciation of over 20%. Yeah. This is an opportunity for a long-term buy and hold. Absolutely. It's not going away. Yeah. So yeah. what's driving that? outside of just, yeah, prices are going well, up, but, but so, what is the industry? So the industry is, so Disney decided mm -hmm. to take a lot of um, the California, you know, people that work there. I don't know specifically what they, they do, but if I'm not mistaken, three to 5,000 people are moving out, out of California to Lake Nona and the adjacent areas. So you're going to have a lot of people looking for places to rent because they don't, maybe they don't want to live there forever, you know? So that's a, a driving force for sure. Then you have the, the medical technology there in medical city, which is a super, super interesting place. So you have a lot of doctors, nurses, people that are, um, you know, looking for rentals they don't want to be there forever maybe they're completing their residency maybe they're doing an internship um and those are higher paying positions absolutely. as well anyway you know the most important factor is that you want a high qualified tenant and i mean that speaks to that um you know you want somebody that's going to pay the rent on time and take care of the property that's why the vetting process is so important but when you have that kind of industry there and so many people moving to the area um it really does create a high demand for for rentals and nice rentals at that okay I mean, you're seeing the same type of stuff down oh, there yeah, as well, right? Absolutely. Um, so I think that Central Florida, and I'll leave, you know, Christina's here to talk about Central Florida, but even, you know, the Atlanta metros, these, these areas for the long-term buy and hold, they're just not going away. People are still attracted to the Southeast. People are still coming here. And I think paying a little bit more for it maybe isn't the worst idea, you know, I, I, just to get your foot in the door. Yeah. I mean, and that's, yeah. I think that's a good place to kind of like advice that I want to give the investor that is buying these long-term buy and holds. I think the best advice that we can give kind of wrap all this, cause it's so much information. It's, it's so many, uh, you know, benefits for doing that, that, that might have swayed someone to go, Oh yeah, you know what? I really didn't like the idea of a cash flowing property because I make, I make plenty of income. I, I don't need a cash flowing property. So maybe this is the strategy that actually works. And if you're building your strategy, if you're, if you're, I want to invest in real estate, what is my goal? What is my strategy? Cause a lot of the time people don't know They they know that it's a good idea. They know that it's good for, honestly, it's good for everybody. But what? Not every strategy is good for everybody. So, the 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 piece that I want to leave to our listener here is, all right, this isn't going to fit everybody's model. Of course, it's not. It's definitely not. But if you live in a house that you bought 
that's probably a long-term buy and hold strategy. You might have one of these accidentally, even though it it might not be the strategy for your next purchase. Um, it, the, the person that needs to buy this type of investment, this is what you are. You are someone that has enough actual monthly income that realistically speaking, you don't need anymore. Annual income is not your actual goal out of this because you're paying enough taxes at it as it is, right? Yeah. But you need a safe, reliable place to sit your income that's not going to be eaten away by taxes. And you know what? Maybe if it becomes a much bigger lump of money down the road, that's even better for you. You want This needs to be your retirement goal. That's why it's a long-term project. The, the investment in here it, is you're not going to realize it in one to two to five to six, seven, eight years. It's going to be 15 years or, or above, right? This is the tangible nest egg. Exactly. That's what it's this accessible. is. It really is. And, and I think if that is what we leave people as, when when we're trying to describe what these these different strategies are, the, I, I like, and you said it earlier, it's like, I want to give somebody a mental picture of what this is, right? Mm-hmm. I want you to be able to visualize it. A nest egg, yeah. a physical actual nesting that's what and this is one as well mm-hmm. yeah. it is something that you know what i want to have a property that's worth a ton of money down in the road if you're buying some little small cash flow and property that's probably never going to be worth a bajillion dollars sure. or something crazy but this is where you go okay i can visualize this this is what it is if you're trying to think what it is it's this is where i'm going to sit it this is my nest Let's let it sit there yeah. and mature. You got to marinate. You got to let, let it, it marinate. Mm-hmm. You know? That's this. That is this yeah. strategy in a nutshell. I do want to make sure that people understand when we say cash flow, though, it doesn't mean that you're, you know, in the red all the time. But it's not, you're not betting that this is going to provide you income necessarily to live off of, right? But it's still, you want, you don't want to be in the red every month. Obviously, that would not make sense, although that can happen with maintenance. But and it can make sense. We'll talk about that in a episode. There are strategies that red that every month. But long term, if somebody else is paying your mortgage, if you're using, you know, if you're leveraging the property, paying a certain percent down, someone else is paying your mortgage. Um, and then you have somebody else taking care of the property, you know, a great property management company. You have a good paying tenant while the house, you know, or the home property appreciates in value long term is just a great strategy. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's really this. That's what this is. If you want to know what this is, that's it. Yeah. Like, how does this strategy work? How does long term buy and hold work? What is it really? I think we've answered those questions pretty well, guys. I hope we simplified it. It's very attainable. I hope we made it really easy. Yeah, exactly. I think at that th- that's what I want everyone to realize. This is an easy strategy to do. It is. It's it's a good it's place to put it. Yeah, it yeah. absolutely is. I, I want to thank you so much for for being here today. I know Thanks you traveled quite a bit. Me. So did you, but you travel here anyway, so you don't count. <laughs> well, you don't it's quite the other count. half of my business. I yeah, understand. yeah, yeah. But hey, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for uh, being a part of this. Please like and subscribe. Hit the bell notifications. Make sure you come back and see us on the next episode. Thank you.